Welcome to another episode of Infinity X, where we give a stage and microphone to human excellence in the pursuit of never-ending opportunities and merging ecosystems with world-renowned entrepreneurs and influencers. Now, here's your host, David Harder. <laughs> What's up, Scott? How are What's you? What's up, man? How's it going? No, not, not bad, not bad, not bad. Not bad. How about you? That's the whole intro, everything. Um, and uh, and then it, you know, it went faded to black there. So I'm sure it was on, great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. Not much. I rehearsed not much. <laughs> As always, I am joined by my partner, the CEO and founder of Epic Financial Strategies, Rob Gill. Rob, what's going on tonight, brother? Happy Trajectory Tuesday, brother. Happy Trajectory Tuesday. Scott, it's nice to meet you. Happy uh, Trajectory Tuesday. I'm looking forward to hearing your experience, strength, and hope. Likewise, and, uh, likewise. See the impact that you're making on the world. Thank you, man. So. At Infinity X, we pursue human excellence. We look to create infinite sales opportunities, and we'd love to hear about the journey of megapreneurs, people like Scott Clary. So, Scott, where did it start for you, brother? To know where you're going, you have to know where you're from. Oh, geez, where to start? Where to start with me? Um, it's funny because I took a complete 180 from my family. So, my family the background is all in government. So, come from a family of cops. Um, my my mom worked for university. My dad, grandpa, uncle, all cops. Um, and I was going to go into law. That was sort of the original goal. And I think it was just that I got a taste of tech early on and I was successful at it. I was selling in tech. I was doing well and I wanted to see where it would take me. And what I kind of put, uh, what's up? Tech. What type of tech was it? So, uh, so it was originally telco. It was telco. So I worked for a big telco company. I'm Canadian. Um, so I was born in Toronto, spent most of my life in Ottawa, then moved back to Toronto. And then, uh, that's, that's where I'm at right now. But, um, for the, uh, yeah. So when I started off my career, I was working for Bell Canada, which is like, you know, it's the Virgin AT&T of Canada. So just huge, huge telco, um, worked my way up there. And it was while I was in university. And then I kept moving through the ranks, uh, moving into bigger markets, selling larger deals, larger clients as I was in university and then after university. And it just, it was going really well. So after my undergrad, I didn't go back to school for law school and I just kept going. Um, and then I moved companies, uh, started working with startups and so on and so forth, built my own brand. And now, you know, here, here I am today. So it was just, it was sort of just a, a coincidence that I got into it and I liked it. I was decent at it. Awesome, Scott. And, um, you know, leading into being able to, um, you know, obviously have success in, in, in what you were selling at that particular point in time, what was early life for you? Uh, were you into sports? Was there other things going on in your world? Um, yeah. What did, that, what did that look like back in the day? Early life for me. Um, begin. So I, I'm trying to think of like way back, like when I was, when I was young, what I was into, I was into, I was into reading and hockey. I was really into books and reading a super curious kid, just wanted to read as much as possible. And then I was, I played a lot of sports. So I played a lot of hockey in the winter. Um, my summer sport was a mix of soccer and tennis. Uh, and then going through high school, I was playing uh, rugby, football, everything else, but hockey was, hockey was my winter. Uh, and then tennis, soccer were my summer sports. Um, so played a lot, played a lot of different sports. Um, Trying to think what else, what else is notable in my, in my youth. <laughs> so when you went to university, um, yeah. how, did you, how did you wind up working at the telecom company that you worked at? Like what happened? What made you want to give it a chance? Yeah. So uh, when I was in university, uh, one of my friends, so Bell, like all telco, they have like retail stores. And then obviously if you, if you move up in the company, you're going to start working and selling into small market, then mid, then enterprise, but they, they start off with retail stores. And that seemed to be because um, one of my friends was working there. Uh, one of my friends working at the time, and he was basically, you know, pitching this to me as like, "This is the most money you're going to make in university if you're not bartending." So it was, <laughs> it's like, all right, why not? Because I like I I I don't have the experience bartending. Like you know, I'm not gonna. I'm, you have to you know put your put your years in as a bar back or a bouncer or whatever to do that. And that seemed like you know I didn't want to get into that industry as I was trying to get out of university. So I wanted to set myself up with something that I could maybe take with me after university. So if I'm not bartending in university, sell tech and and you can make good money because there's really great commissions um, even at a retail level. So that's where I first got into it. 
And when you were at university and you began to, um, you know, the entrepreneurial side kicked in and you began to see success financially from what you were doing, what kind of time on a daily basis were you spending as you, as you kind of grew into that? Was it, was it a lot of time? Was it part of the time? Like, what did that look like for you as you were going through university? Oh, I loved, I loved, um, I loved working. I loved working and I loved making money. Um, I was moving classes to night classes and weekend classes just so I could still work regular hours because I, I wanted to work full time. I was going to university. So I was pulling 80 hour weeks between work and school. Um, and I just love making money. Um, so it was burned, a lot of fun. Yeah, you, you burned the boats and you wanted to make yeah. sure you accomplished both. So it wasn't <laughs> and or it was then, then, right? Yeah. And yeah. Um, and then once university ended, as, as he mentioned, he, um, um, instead of going to law school, mm -hmm. he wanted to uh, follow his dream and his passion. And if we could take it slow from one step to the next step um, to see what happened after college and how it led to where he is today, that'd be awesome. Yep. Yep. So what happened? So what happened next, you know, from from there, Scott? Yeah. So um, graduated university and I had the option to, of course, go back to school, um, to go to law school uh, or double down on my career. So when I graduated the same year, I moved into a, like, I got a promotion. So that was big for me making more money right out of school. And I figured, okay, if I, like I was always in sales when I was an individual contributor, when I was selling direct to the customer, as opposed to like managing a sales team, I was always like 200, 300% to target. I was always killing it. And I was like, okay, there must be something here because if I'm always doing quite well, then let's see how far I can take this. Let's play in that space for a second, Scott. What do you think attributed, and when you look back at it, to why you consistently were able to exceed, get that 200, 300% you know, mark on a consistent yeah. basis? It was a few things when I look back. Um, definitely, uh, I was very charismatic, which helped me feel comfortable communicating with customers, conversing, just building rapport, which is very important. And like looking back, you know, hindsight's 2020, 20. you don't know what you're doing when you're doing it. It's just that at that time, especially it was just, oh, that's the personality. I like talking to people. I, I'm just like a people person. And it sort of worked out. Now, the things that really helped me were not just that. Um, I was always curious. I always nerded out at everything, like way before I started working, like I was like, you know, like everything you could do to break a computer, I try and figure out a way to break a computer and like build it back up again. Like I try and, you know, like try and code on my own, like just try and do everything. I was very, very into tech and I try and figure stuff out. So when you go into a technical sale, I immediately found out that the best way to sell something was to know it intimately better than anybody else could possibly know it. Because then there, no objection, no objection would ever come up that I couldn't speak to, right? And you combine that with like a little bit of a personality, charisma, you know, building relationships. And then all of a sudden, that's like a very good equation for selling tech. Um, and that was definitely what sort of got me off, you know, getting me started just like when, when I was really early on in my career, that's helped. Like that's always helped. And did you have any early mentors that really taught you the game of sales from a standpoint of not only being consistent every single day? but also understanding that uh, building rapport, which is like one of the greatest action steps you could take in any kind of sales you do, as long as it's with integrity. Mm, yeah. Did you have a mentor at all that kind of gave you that early information that you adopted in and were able to, to have the byproduct of that really kind of represent itself in your checking account and um, be able to consistently want to be able to double down from what you did the month before? I've had a lot. Um, I, didn't have, I didn't have mentors that were helping me in sales in university. Uh, the second I moved into like corporate out of retail, um, when I was doing B2B sales for Bell Telco, like right out of university, that's when I had, I had a manager who was really focused on both like cold calling outbound. He helped me with that, but he also helped me with like the relationship building, like, you know, gift of the gab, like what to say, all the like traditional sales stuff that you no normally would be formally trained. I didn't really have a lot of formal training in sales ever. So I did have mentors. And that was the first point just because I lucked out and I worked for a business unit and my, my manager, who was my first mentor, he went to the same university as me. And he is like, you know, we just hit it off, like right off the bat, obviously he's like much older than me, but we went to the same university. Um, and he, he showed me the power of sort of expediting my learning by just you know, 
just attaching to somebody who's already done it before and just mm -hmm. trying to pick their brain for as much as I could possibly get out of them. Right. Um, and I didn't realize the value of that until I've worked in other spots where there weren't those kinds of figures around. And then you realize how great those bosses and I've, I've been very lucky. I've had some really great bosses, managers, directors, but I know that's probably made my career because they've been there just by luck. Um, yeah. I think that now, you know, going back, I would have tried to seek like seek those people out a little bit more purposefully, but I, I, a little bit of luck for sure. And I think that that's probably what helped me, you know, progress, get promotions, move into bigger markets every single year after university when I was selling. Um, so yeah, definitely they helped out. Alyssa, thanks for sharing that. I think that, um, you know, and first of all, you cold called, we, we doing that every day. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And that's, I, you know, for me, that's where I learned the game a long yeah. time ago, but um, I think that one of the things you touched on it, and remember, we have a bunch of people that that come on to listen that are typically entrepreneurs that are not only in their business, but working on their business in, mm -hmm. in a multitude of ways. Um, so when I think about you sharing, um, you know, having a mentor matching it plus one, match a mirror plus one, um, and being able to take the goodness from each and one of these mentors is key. I guarantee that every single person in any business always has an opportunity to find a good mentor. But I think that the ingredient, just based on my experience and hearing you talk, the ingredient that you had is you looked for it. You looked for leadership. You looked to be taught. You were curious. You yeah. wanted to figure out different ways that uh, you could break a computer or uh, figure out a way to overcome all the objections that you may hear as you're selling the product. Awesome. And thank you for sharing that, by the way. Um, and, and the journey has been incredible. Uh, I know David, had spoken very highly about you before tonight's call. So I was excited about it. And I love to dig deep into the success process that led to where you are today. So mm -hmm. what happened, you know, what after, what happened after that wave of success as you began to climb and grow and, and what did your world begin to look like? Um, so I worked in telco, uh, moved into sales leadership. Um, so that was big. So moved into actually managing people, uh, moved to a smaller company. So I learned um, the value of being a little bit strategic in my career. So I expedited my career growth to move into a management position by taking a position at a smaller company. Um, that company was acquired. The second that company was acquired, I started understanding the value of working in startups and trying to get a little piece of that pie because you, you see these like huge cash uh, injections into companies and you're like, holy, like that's like a, that's a lot of, it's a lot of damn money. So how do I work with early stage companies? Um, so that's when I started doing some consulting work. And when I started doing some consulting work, I was work, I wanted to work with startups because yeah. I thought at the time, obviously, you know, again, hindsight's 2020, but I thought I was like God's gift to sales because I was just killing it at a fortune, you know, whatever <laughs> fortune 500. I thought I was great. And obviously you ain't shit until like you realize <laughs> it, but yeah. You go in on your own. I started doing some like fractional like CXO work. So just like like outsourced like CRO, CMO to like super early stage companies. Um, Scott, and yeah. by the way, at that at that time, because you're you're pretty much a brand ambassador, right? You're a hell of a marketer. But back at that time, how did you what was your marketing strategy? Right. How did you start to put out and promote your brand? I can't wait to hear this. one, Dude, this is why this is why I burnt out. This is why I burnt out, because you, you go into consulting, right? And you think that like the deals are just going to come and you close a deal and you do your 40 consulting hours then you're like, shit, I got to go find another client because now I don't have another job at the end of this quarter, at the end of the three months in or the six months in. And like, if you're in professional services, whatever, you know, this, you, this is painful, especially really your own services business. Right. So, um, I was doing consulting with, uh, with two other partners. Uh, we had all left companies to be consultants. We had no idea how to structure a consulting company. We all burnt out. Um, so to answer your question, we didn't do it well. We did not do it well. Um, it was like all of our first forays in entrepreneurship. We, we booked some good business, but we were all like way too tired. We didn't structure stuff. We were working on site at client locations versus virtually. So they were like monitoring every single hour they were paying us. We were sitting in their actual office. Like it wasn't done well. And we didn't have any sort of like recurring revenue product that we could like maintain that while we were still focusing on our big ticket clients. So you, fast you, learned, you yeah. basically learned what not to do, right? It was like, yeah, we learned what not to do. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, a, yeah. it was like Harvard degree. Yep. So, um, what happens next brother, that, that learning experience, what did it lead to? So that learning experience, um, 
it was a great learning experience with a lot of startups. Uh, it was a lot of fun, but again, tiring. Um, just while I was doing that, I was working with very early stage startups at uh, startup incubators. So, you know, all like, you know, PhDs and engineers that are just changing the world quite literally. And I was working with some of them. It was a lot of fun. Um, but I chose to sign up with a startup full time. Um, they were very early stage, and this is going to take us to very, very recent to, to what I'm working on now. So signed up with a startup full time after this consulting, uh, realized that I can make an impact. I do know sales. I do know marketing. I've been doing it successfully, but I do like a little bit of work-life balance. And if I get an early stage, I get a little bit of equity. And then if I take this company from, you know, X revenue to, to, you know, whatever revenue targets, and then we get acquired, then that's a success story for me. And that's what I wanted to focus on. So I just, I found a company, the company was Excitem. Um, that's a company that I joined uh, almost three years ago now. So joined them. Um, they do broadcast SaaS. Uh, I worked with them, uh, basically grew their sales, grew their marketing, grew their demand gen, uh, took them up market, closed some enterprise deals for them, built out a sales force, built out a marketing team. And um, fast forward to four months ago, we were just acquired by Grass Valley, which is wow. a large 60 plus, 61 year old broadcasting company. So, can you share what the uh, acquisition looked like? Is there things that you can share about that just for the group, like number wise? Or it's, yeah. So it's uh, like, it. the numbers aren't public. The numbers aren't public. It was a private acquisition. Um, it, it was, it was like, it was mid eight figures, mid wow. eight figures. Yeah. Wow. Congratulations. And do you own a piece of the company? So, yeah. Sure? So yeah, there's the, so yeah, I'm a little bit on, I'm, I'm part of the cap table. So it was a good, it was a good exit. Awesome. Congratulations. <laughs> brother. Yeah. That's awesome. So Scott, when you when you're part of a buyout like that, is it a one lump sum check? Is it staggered over a couple of years? Is there a tax harvesting strategies? Like, what does that look like? No, it's it's a lump sum. Um, yeah, there's there's definitely tax strategies as well, but that's nothing to do with the actual corporation. Um, awesome. Now, this is not the only way to do a buyout, right? There's there's multiple ways to do buyouts. Um, yes, it can be it can be vested over a period of time and whatnot, but not not this particular one. Now, the company that bought you guys out, are you part of that company? Is there like a five year, you got to give them your time or is it? Is so it I, so that is another common thing where, um, where founders usually have to uh, contract. So there's certain members of the founding team. Now, I wasn't part of the founding team. I was, I was managing sales and marketing. Um, so there are certain members of the founding team that do have to stay on. Uh, but I am part of that company. So we moved over all the employees. So right now, I'm heading up um, basically all, all the same products that we were selling before, all the software. I'm still managing that just within a much larger company now. Awesome. Well, congratulations on your success. That's awesome. Thank um, you, man. Thank you. What is, the, what is the vision for the next step? Like, what does it look like three to five years from now uh, based on what you're doing and what your knowledge is? And, yeah, um, three to five years. Um, so I've been, you know, if you, if you Google me, I've been very focused on building my own personal brand. Um, I've tried to build my personal brand because I can take that wherever I go. And that's another whole topic, you know, turning yourself into a media company. Um, I have a newsletter, I have a podcast, I post consistently. I'm trying to build that brand so that wherever, you know, wherever I go in the future, I can take that with me. If I want to launch my own company in the future, if I just want to work for another company and have another, you know, another success, another exit event, another acquisition, that's also an option as well. Um, so for me, I think that, you know, we were acquired So there's no more exit event. There's that, that this has been like the epitome of success that I'm going to achieve in this company. Um, I do want to continue to see the products to be a success, but for me personally, it is, I want to build my brand so that I can take that and I can leverage it for a multitude of reasons. That's awesome. And you're allowed to do that while still being at the company. You can begin to the process of your, yeah. let's call it your side hustle awesome yeah it awesome. is it is a side hustle it is a side hustle and, and they're they're okay with it and to be honest it's gotten to the point now where like usually when i get asked to jump on a podcast or whatnot i'll, I'll get asked to speak at a conference like it, it's just a benefit to the company because now it's their name beside my name as a speaker and sometimes they'll get a backlink from that event site or whatnot because they're linking back to the company where i work so it doesn't you know you never bite the hand that feeds you I make sure that doesn't detract from my work and I still deliver my revenue targets and I hit my KPIs, but I still think there's a benefit 
to build that personal brand for the company you're at right now. And then of course, for wherever you're at in the future. I agree, brother. We are Infinity X, giving stages and microphones to human excellence. Folks, we're joined by Scott Clary tonight. Scott, when did you start to really kind of double down on building out the brand? And what was your strategy for doing that? So the the first version of the brand um, was when I was still doing consulting work. Uh, and it was just constantly posting on social. I just doubled down on social. But then I realized I had to come up with a little bit more of um, a maintainable strategy. Uh, which that's, is by where, the way, that's what Scott, that's what we had to tell Parker. He's been fighting us the whole time. That we have to drop <laughs> at least 100 pieces of content every day on seven different platforms. You got to do day. it. You got you got to do it. But, but, yeah, uh, yeah, Scott, do me a favor. Publicly scold Parker for us. Will you? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Parker. Parker's good. Parker's good. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna throw Parker under the bus. <laughs> um. Yeah. So you know what you're doing right now. You're doing these webinars. I, I figured, okay, I want, I want a content strategy that I can, I can continuously pump out content. The content's relevant, edu- uh, relevant, educational, interesting. Um, so uh, I decided to create a podcast and that podcast, um, it interviews entrepreneurs, executives, a whole bunch of very interesting people with great stories and, and insights to give over. And that was the core of my content strategy. And that was around the same time I signed up for a company full-time. So that was uh, that was when I decided to launch the podcast because I felt that was a very maintainable content strategy because now I have that long form content, that 30 to 60 minutes, I can break that down. I can turn it into obviously podcasts, YouTube, throw it up on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and it just goes everywhere, right? And that's that's what I do now. And that's what I've consistently done. So it's grown the podcast, grown my personal brand because all that content is now associated with me. And it's very scalable because... All it takes is that really that 30 to 60 minute initial clip. And then now I have a team of editors that I actually leverage to break down that clip and all the different socials. Originally I was doing it myself, but then I hired a team because it makes sense. Um, and, when it, and Scott, by the way, let's hit on that for a second. Cause that was going to be my question. When did you hit the point where scaling just required you to outsource? You know, it's funny because so <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to eventually have kids and I don't have kids yet. So I have a lot of extra time. Um, for brother. yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. So like I, I figured it, like I figured out how to do it. I figured out how to do everything myself. So I could still with the work that I'm doing now, still do the editing, do everything myself, do all the, the clipping of the little video clips, the writing, the copywriting, you know, all that. But, um, I just decided I wanted to buy time back so I could do other stuff or just do nothing like whatever I want. So, you know, I'm very good at scaling teams from the ground up for startups. So I know where to find talent that isn't overly expensive, that really delivers. And that's what I just leveraged for myself. And that's, so it was about to answer your question. It was about a year and a half ago in the three year podcast journey when I started hiring to make it easier for myself. So, so let me, can we just take a little step back? So when you do your podcast, right, you get that 30, 60 minute video um, yeah. you have a team that does the editing. Um, there's, is there a call to actions? Do you create email lists? Do you have email campaigns? Do people go to a land? Like, what does it look like um, after they watch one of your videos and they want to learn more from you? What, what packages are you selling? Can you take us through that process? If anything. Yeah. So it's a good point um, because candidly right now I'm not selling anything. And that's, that's, that's a decision that I've made because right now I'm still working. So yep. I thought what I'll do first before I sell something, because selling something means that I have to deliver services or I have to deliver something. And I, that's a whole other, then I have to focus on like a little bit of a business versus just passively building an audience. So I said, first step CTA call to action is to, sort of cross pollinate across all my different social and channels and newsletter. Cause I'm a big fan of building lists, right? That's the most important thing you could do and own your audience. So it all drives back to signing up for an email and the email is not selling them anything right now, but that's right now. So I don't know what I'm going to do with that list in the future, but for now it's all signing up. So I own that audience. You're building your community. Yeah, yeah totally. Exactly. Yep. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, and <clears throat> when you hire, because I wanted to go back to like when you were sitting scale, what is your hiring process? What do you look for? Do you hire slow and fire fast? Like, what does that look like? 
So it depends. Well, I guess the uh, things that I look for sometimes will depend on the role that I'm hiring for, but the general attitude towards hiring is definitely higher. Yeah. Hire slow, fire fast, but I'd say more importantly, um, I look for other characteristics that I, I have always found to make somebody successful. Hmm. So um, things like, uh, somebody who has a plan for the next five years of their life. I don't care what that plan is, but if somebody has the foresight to put together a one, three, five-year plan for where they want to be professionally, those people are generally going to be quite successful in whatever it is they do. It's your job as a manager to align the things that they're doing with their personal goals. So I like people that do have that vision. Um, I like people that are incredibly curious. So the people that come to me that already have figured out you know, 95% of what I was going to tell them about the company are asking questions that I don't even have the answer to yet because they've thought of things that I don't know. That's really good. People that are curious, people that have plans, people that basically try and figure stuff out and don't always ask for permission because I rather somebody that goes out of their way to get stuff done and then, and then screw something up. And then I have to reel them back in versus always giving somebody approval to go do something. I like when people figure stuff out and that means they're usually going to break stuff. But those are the kinds of people that definitely, I would say in any business, but definitely in a startup, that's who you have to have. Um, so yeah, sure. Like the, the old adage, like, you know, hire so fire fast is great, but I would say those other personality traits will more often than not mean you don't have to fire them if you have those right people. Yep. If you were given the opportunity to speak on larger stages, what stages would you be speaking on? Oof, I would be, uh, let's see, Dreamforce, South by Southwest. Um, I'd love to do a keynote at Inbound, which is HubSpot's conference. I love, I love tech. I love tech. Um, so anything startup tech, I would, try, I would jump on those stages if I could keynote there. Got it. And are you focused mainly uh, on the Canadian side or do you move over into the United States also? No, I'm actually not focused on the Canadian side at all, um, to be quite honest. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, like like the so the startup I you worked still, for you was still live in Canada. Where do you yeah. live? Right now I'm in Fort Lauderdale. Um, but I'm I'm usually in Canada, but I'm just spending the winter down here. So <laughs> yeah. oh, man. that's awesome, dude. Yeah. Um like the startup was based in San Francisco. Uh all like all the companies I work with are in San Francisco. Um everything I really do is, is usually in the States, in the U S uh, unless it was a company that was actually just selling certain, like when I was in telco, we were just selling to Canadian companies. But since then it's mostly been focused on the U S there's, it's easier. It's, it's easier to make money. It's easier to do business in the U S larger market. People are more willing to spend in the startup space. People are more willing to take risk. Um, which is great when you're trying to find good startups to work with. So let's, let's talk about that for a second, right, Scott? Because when you're launching a business, obviously there's an, an, a major amount of intrinsic risk, right? Yeah. Uh, if you're going to launch a business in today's world with inflation where it is and you know all of the different chaotic matters that are out there in our economy, it's a challenging time, right? When you're consulting a business owner who is looking to launch a business or preparing themselves to launch a business, what are you coaching them on in today's economic environment? I would say the number one thing they should try and do is not take investor money because there's too much investor money and taking investor money is going to add pressure that you don't need. And it's going to, I would I would say that sometimes when you take investor money, it's almost too easy right now so that it's not actually going to help your business. You could get dumb money, you get investors that don't add value. So I would say to validate your product, try and find product market fit, sell your first, sell your first 50 customers to prove out some, some semblance of product market fit. And as a founder, you have to sell those first 50 customers. And then once you have those first 50 customers, then you can model it. You can call it whatever you want to call it. Ideal customer profile, buyer persona, customer avatar from those first 50 customers. And then you can use that to scale your business. And if you have those customers, then you can at least prove out product market fit. And then if you want to take on venture funding or you want to take on an angel investor, that's fine. But I would say the best way to raise money is through your customers, not through uh, investment. And I think that that's a mistake that founders make because they feel the expectation, they, they, they feel like there's a, a need to go raise money mm. when I don't think there is. 
Hmm. Especially if you have a great idea, great product. And if you so, have a great idea and a great product, are you investing your own money into it or are you borrowing the money? That's a good question. There's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of there's a lot of nuance to that to that answer. Um, because you always want to say use other people's money, <laughs> but in the world of no code and bootstrapping and gig economy, like, do you really have to invest that much of your own money? And I would say, if you have a technical co-founder that you really trust and you use no code, like no code tools and you use Fiverr and Upwork and TopTal, I would say that you could take an MVP and you, and not even an MVP, you could create a landing page with some sort of lead capture on it. And you could validate a, a business idea by maybe spending like, you know, 500 bucks, a thousand bucks on ad spend, sending traffic to that page and seeing if people convert and sign up for, you know, a, a trial of something that doesn't even exist yet. So thousand bucks, I would say just use your own money and don't stress about it. Like, I'm not talking about like, you're not building the next Tesla, right? Like you're just trying to get some sort of product to market and validate it with your audience. And I don't think you need a lot of money to do that. I just think you have to be smart about it. And I think people over-engineer their MVP and that's why they think they need money and they invest I would say definitely don't invest 10,000, 20,000, 50,000 of your own dollars because you don't have to, and you don't have to take anyone else's either. You just have to find that MVP and you have to validate your product market fit way sooner. And that's another issue that people have. Wow. We are Infinity X giving stages and mics to people like Scott, Clary, Human Excellence. If you have a question for Scott, please put it into the chat. And um, Rob, any questions? Was there any comments before? I, I, could, I can't read. There, so I like, yeah, there honor, were a couple of comments. honor some of the comments. And by the way, and by the way, Scott, where can people find you? Why don't you put that out to the uh, put that out to the group? Um, yeah, podcast, sure. YouTube, et cetera. Yeah, for sure. It's like it's super simple. Like it's it's at Scott D. Clary across everything. And then it's Scott D. Clary dot com. So Scott D. Clary. Yeah, folks, if you have a question for Scott, please put it into the uh, put it in the chat. Scott, um, I got a question for you. Sure. Uh, you want to read some of those comments or no? Uh, the comment says DJ in the house. OK, <laughs> hey, you tell, is DJ still in the house. I can't see without my glasses. And, DJ? and also to claim your free gift, please contact contact us at support at infinityxteam.com where you can claim your free gift. Scott, if you were going to be launching a social media brand, right? You know, brand content mm -hmm. today, what would be what would be your first call it three action items that you would uh, execute on? Figure out who you're talking to. Mm. So figure out who, who, who you're talking to, right? Like who what's the purpose? Like, why are you starting social media? So figure out who that person is because that's going to drive all your content. Second item would be figure out a content strategy and a process that you can maintain every single week. I don't care if it's one post or 50 posts, but like, like commit to that. Like you can't, you can't start then stop. So whatever it is, just be honest, be real with yourself, build that process, build that schedule, whatever it is. And you just have to maintain that. So yeah, figure out who you're speaking to, figure out a, a schedule, a posting schedule that you're comfortable with. And then I would say focus, I would say focus all of your attention. So this is going to sort of run counter to my second point, which is figure out a, a content posting schedule. But let me, let me give some context. I would say hyper-focus or double down on one that you're seeing the most results on. So those would be the three tips. So I would say, yeah. So figure out who you want to speak to, figure out uh, a content schedule, posting schedule, calendar, and it can be across all of them, but maybe it's just one post across all social media. And then maybe you put out like four posts a day on Instagram, or you really write long form copy on LinkedIn, or you put together really great tweet threads on Twitter and you figure out that one platform so that you're known on that one platform, because that is going to see, especially if you're just starting out where you don't have the bandwidth to do everything well, mm. you're going to get really good results from one. And that's going to hopefully trickle into the others. And that's when you build like a really strong community and following on one social platform that then you can take that and you can cross pollinate. You can start promoting your other assets and your other social on that main channel that you've really figured out really well. Scott, are you so on Clubhouse? Would, yeah. Are you on Clubhouse at all? I am, but I don't 
I don't know it. I don't know it well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, it seems like the relevancy has kind of changed a little bit, at least, I, I, you know, I haven't been yeah. when it first. Yeah, well, that's my point. You yeah. know, like once it when it first came out, it was kind of like the rage. And now, you know, um, you know, I get notifications consistently, but I don't I haven't seen the the follow through in uh, in Clubhouse. Now, what I, I found that really interesting that you'd mentioned that, OK, you're on it, but you're not in it. Is there any particular yeah. reason that you've kind of shied away from that? For me, it's it's the ROI on the time, right? It's too much time for not enough return. Yeah. Um, that's it, man. Like it's just like I can, I just chose that I I chose other platforms that I want to double down on. The first platform that you know really went well for me because of the content that I put out was LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started to figure out Instagram. I started to figure out Twitter, and I sort like I slowly expanded. Clubhouse is like first of all. I can get a content, I can get a video editor to cut a video that I can post on Instagram. I can't get and hire somebody to speak for me on Clubhouse for an hour. Yeah. It's, it's just tough. It's just tough to show up and to build a community. And I also feel like the organic reach, like I'm always about organic reach. Like where can you get the most bang for your buck when you spend the time? Like right now, TikTok's huge. I haven't figured that out yet, but I'm trying. LinkedIn is really good. And right here. Uh, yeah, you got TikTok. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it, we've gone from like seven to thirty-three thousand followers because Parker, you know, started listening to people that knew what they were doing, <laughs> and as a result of that, um, we, we've done very well. What's really interesting though is that we get because we're in the edu- financial education space, and we're, we're beginning to get a lot of appointments that come through, educational only, but it does follow right on our landing page and. Um, you know, we have a team here that it goes from each person in rotation just to have these educational calls. So that's, so that's what you got to do, though. It happens on Instagram a little bit. Um, and we also have a YouTube channel that we probably get about, you know, maybe 20 appointments a month. But TikTok, we're at like 40 already. And it's November 9th. Like that's that's the difference in, in the speed. That's, that's how, you know, the organic reach is there. So that's why, that's why you have to figure out these short form video platforms, but that's why for clubhouse to me, it's not worth it. Like I rather spend time getting a video editor or even myself figuring out how to edit video that works with TikTok versus me spending an hour or two hours talking to a group of people on clubhouse. I think at the beginning of clubhouse, you had a lot more organic reach. And I think that you really could build a community really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's the case anymore. And you, you see it in the numbers, you see it in the declines of downloads, the monthly active users on TikTok, um, on, uh, on Clubhouse has declined as well. So I never saw the value in it for me. Some people, you know, swear by it, but yeah. From a staying power perspective, though, where where do you think that you're going to continue to where are you doubling down, Scott? Is it is it are you going to continue to double down on LinkedIn or is there a different platform that you're thinking about? So for now, because I'm trying to build the podcast, I found that. um, Interestingly enough, YouTube is one of the strongest platforms for building a connection with your audience because your video and your face is there. So this is an interesting point. Video is super tough to do. Long form video is even more tough. And editing YouTube is like the most work you'll ever do for social media. But um, you know it because you're doing it. So it's, it's tough. Uh, but you'll notice that if you can build a community on YouTube, I found that that's the only social media that followers flow over easily to your other socials. Mm. You see people that have big audiences on YouTube. They'll also have huge Twitter followings huge Instagram following, but you can see somebody that has a million followers on Twitter and nobody knows who they are anywhere else. YouTube. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So for me with my kind of content, that's what I'm trying to figure out. That's awesome. So what is it? Yeah. What is it? So, um, you you seem very young. I don't know how old you are. You know, you didn't start a family yet. No, what soon. It, <laughs> what is it? What is it genuinely like? Like if, if you want the story told about you, the impact that you want to have, what does that impact look like? Um, you know, not only on your family, but but even on yeah. yourself, being that you're you're all across these platforms and you're getting your message out. What does that look like? I think for me, um, I want to make it sound so so like corny, I, but I, it's it's something that's important to me, and that's why I started my show. I want to make like 
upskilling in your personal life, but also your professional life, easy, fun, enjoyable, something that's digestible. And I want, I would love to evangelize like somebody wanting to upskill themselves and understanding how easy it is to do that. Cause I think there's a lot of people. And when I say upskill, I say that purposely because I don't say financial independence, solopreneur, side hustle, entrepreneur. That's great. There's a lot of people that speak about that, but I know there's a lot of people that are sitting super miserable in jobs and the, the ability to learn from entrepreneurs, the ability to learn time management, productivity, uh, managing your energy levels, all these different things that can help you and are usually just focused on an entrepreneurial crowd. Those can help you get a better job, move to a better position, like upskill yourself in your professional life in a, in a company. And I always say like entrepreneurship is not for everybody. So how about we just find a way to make your life better working within a company as well? Because I think that is not spoken about enough. And I think that that's why I try and teach about not just entrepreneur, side hustle, startup lessons, but it's like, how do you upskill yourself as a person and a professional with interesting content that I put out through the podcast so that even if you're within a job, the content's still relevant and you can make your life better and you don't have to start a company. You don't have to start a side hustle to make your life better. We're just going to help you do that within a company. What are some personal things that you've adopted that you've seen an uptick and improvement in your personal, like mental and or physical health? Um, so for personal, um, I mean, I'll go through my routine, things that I do, like for me, working out is a huge thing. I, I, I could not imagine functioning at a high level without working out. Um, you hockey players are crazy. Yeah. A hundred percent, but it's like the energy that I get from it. So my routine, and this is not, you know, you do whatever. And I'm also a big proponent of like doing whatever your body feels is right. So if the thing's not giving you energy, stop doing it. It could be the food you eat. It could be the work that you do. It could be the job you're at. If it's not giving you energy, stop doing it. So for me, I wake up, I hit the gym. That's giving me energy. And the days that I hit the gym, I am like, how do you measure this? I have no idea, but like at least, you know, 110% more productive than the days when I don't, and I'm dragging my ass all morning and I don't feel that jolt of energy. And I feel like that day is just not a win. So I love going to the gym in the morning. Um, I, you know, a whole bunch of cliches. I do intermittent fasting because I feel like that gives me clarity in the morning as well. Um, I, I mix my, you know, my food between like, like no carb during the weekend, like a heavy carb on the weekend. And I do this because I feel like half of success is being able to maintain energy and mental clarity. And for me, for sure. yeah. like, I think that that, like, if I can, if I can not hit uh, a wall at three thirty, four o'clock in the afternoon, and I can get work done at night, or I can jump on one of these and hopefully have some semblance of a smart conversation versus like falling asleep in front of the TV. Like that mm-hmm. to me is what sort of moves the needle. And that's like that extra little bit that, sort of takes people, you know, their careers to the next level. Maybe if I wanted to jump on a job interview at night, I could do it because I'm have a lot of energy, I have a lot of clarity and I could really nail a job interview, or I could be building my side hustle at night because I have that energy. But for me, I think that the things that really are important in terms of like your physical health and well-being is of course, you know, physical health. Like if you're sick or you're, you know, if you're, if you're not doing well, you're not going to be doing too good in whatever, you know, success thing that you want to go after. But it's also about managing energy. And I don't think there's enough focus on that when you speak about how do you like take it to the next level? How do you become a successful entrepreneur? I think managing your energy is a huge thing. Yeah, yeah. So this is my routine, but just figure out a way that makes it work for you. I totally agree with well, that. Go ahead, Does anybody have any questions? Uh, in the chat, hang on a sec. Yep, we have a couple of questions. Beautiful. Yeah. I just have to move around the, the camera. Dan, can you help me out? All right. So question is, do you find being in, ca- I'm sorry, I'm like looking Damn. around my camera Damn. angle here. <laughs> move up. If you could move that over just a little bit, brother, I would appreciate it. <laughs> there we are. Perfect. Okay, now I got a clean slide. So do you find being in Canada, this comes in from David Hammer. Do you find being in Canada being any kind of a challenge in reaching those in the US or do you feel the internet doesn't really discriminate geographically at this point? So... It, so my, my experience is it doesn't discriminate. Um, I, I only found that it was more difficult when we were locked down because we were all acclimating to virtual 
And it was hard to jump on a plane and go to New York or LA or Miami. And that was for me, like at the beginning of the pandemic, an impediment because you can't sit in the room and close like a multi-million dollar deal over Zoom. Now you can, but at the beginning it was difficult. So I would say at the at the onset of COVID, that was that was something that bugged me. It was frustrating. But outside of that, no, because you just jump like if I want to go to New York from Toronto, it's like uh it's like an hour plane ride. It's a day trip, right? So there's there's nothing there. They wouldn't they wouldn't even know if I'm coming from Toronto or just coming from like New Jersey. Like they'd have no idea. So it didn't really bug me. It didn't really ever impede like sales or business or anything like that. Doesn't really affect. I noticed a I noticed a bunch of books uh on your shelf there. Are number one, are you thinking about putting out your own book? That's number mm-hmm. one. Number two, what is the last book that you read? Um, so yes, I am thinking about putting out my own book eventually. That's on the 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 brand building list of things to do eventually. It's like you gotta gotta have a book. I have a podcast, I got the social, I got got a newsletter, gotta do a book eventually. Um last book that I read uh was actually an, an older book. It was uh advertising by Ogilvy. Um it's a, it's an old school book about advertising. Um, another book that I recently read was play bigger. It's just behind me. It's one of my favorite startup books. Yeah. Have you, do you know the book? Cause it's I know, not I'm like hearing at it behind you. I just, it's, it's, I've heard of the book. I've never read it personally, but yeah. So I would say, um, advertising by Ogilvy is like a little bit of a, a niche book for like advertisers, hardcore advertisers, like the old, old school, like mad men style. That's like where the book is modeled from, but there's still some great advertising lessons, but play bigger is a really fun book because it speaks about how companies like Salesforce basically created categories. So it disrupts the idea of if you're an entrepreneur, you have to build a product in an existing category. What it it replaces it with is create the category and then sell your product into that category because you're the person that created that. So Benioff, you know, CEO of Salesforce, he created cloud. So he all the propaganda when Salesforce was coming out was why do you have servers on site? Migrate everything to cloud. And there was like a war on on-site server infrastructure and he created cloud and then he sold Salesforce into the market that he created for himself. And that's a different, I think there's also Ikea in that book. They speak about how Ikea did the same thing, um, but it's a really great book. And it's uh, it's a good book for, it's sort of like light to fire a little bit because you may, it just changes the way you look at entrepreneurship. Mm. Question coming in from Jade is how do you invite people on your podcast? So um, now I'd probably get inundated with like five, 10 different invites a day uh, for people trying to get on. If I'm looking for somebody, it's, or if I'm looking for somebody to come on, or if it's somebody who messages me, it's sort of the same thing that I'm looking for. It's like, have you done something in your life that first of all, I've never spoken about before, or I've never been, I can't teach my audience. So I want to bring in fresh perspective to my audience. And then simultaneously, like I need to grow the show. So if I'm, if I'm bringing somebody on, I want them. And this is, you know, if you want to get booked on podcasts, it's sort of like a tip for you. If you want to get booked on podcasts, how are you going to augment the reach of that show? So if somebody says to me like, Hey, I have an email list with 50,000 people on it. When we do the episode, I'm going to teach your audience, you know, ABC, and then I'm going to take that episode. I'm going to blast it to 50,000 people. That's great. Or somebody that says, Hey, I've never seen you cover this particular topic. Like the people that just come in with, Hey, I'm another marketing agency or consulting agency or whatever. And I want to get on your show. And I want to talk about SEO or social, like those topics are done. So Mm -hmm. you have to sort of sell the, like if you're selling anything, right. I'm solving the problem that the customer has. So if you're selling yourself to a podcast, what is, what's the problem the podcaster has? It's distribution and it's entertainment. So that's what I look for, but that's what you definitely have to solve if you're trying to get on the show. Next question comes in from Parker Russo. Do you currently own any tech companies and or are you looking to acquire any in the near future? I do not own right now. Um, I am looking to acquire, uh, but I don't know what that looks like yet. So I think what I would love to do Um, I would love to, at one point in my career, you mentioned like, what is your plan for the future? Mm. I would love to open up a VC fund and because I'm an operator, because I know how to grow sales and marketing from the ground up, I would love to invest in companies and then help their founders take a product to market, sell market, because I have some experience. So I don't just want to be a hands-off. I still want to be an operator, but, uh, I don't know when that's going to be, but that would be something I want to do in my life. And yes, so that would that would constitute 
investing in, buying in bits of companies for sure. Got it. And the second question from him is what kind of tech companies can you best use your personal brand to help scale the business? I mean, I've built my brand, so it's pretty, it's pretty industry agnostic. Hmm. Like, I, I don't think that, I don't think that the, like if I'm, if I'm evangelizing something, I'll give you an example because I'm not doing it right now, but Guy Kawasaki, a very early Apple employee, right? He evangelizes uh, Mercedes Benz and Canva. And it's just because if he's passionate about those products, he can speak about them. He can speak about, you know, how they're changing the world, what their vision is. But those are two very different products from somebody that's never been in like, well, I guess Apple is arguably a software business, but never like a SaaS product company, like a modern iteration of a SaaS company like Canva is. And obviously he's never worked in a car company like Mercedes Benz. So that's mm -hmm. one person who has a lot of influence who's just standing behind brands that he believes in and just speaking about it. Now, I don't know if I go into a car company, but still the point is like, you can do what, if you have the, if you have the, if you have the audience, there's a lot you can do with it. I don't think you're going to be too limited. Excellent. Excellent. We are Infinity X giving stages and microphones to human excellence. Parker says, thank you very much, Scott, for that. If you have a question for Scott, please put it into the chat. Scott, um, you know, when you move on from, you know, from this journey that we're on, what do you want to be remembered for? Hmm, that's like a, you are, you kind of already asked me that. And I think I danced around the question too. Cause <laughs> you sure did. Now you're right between the eyes, brother. Come on. This yes, is sir. Okay. What do I want to be remembered for? Um, I want to be remembered. I want to be remembered for, uh, making, making professional education fun. That's what I really want and enjoyable because I think that if I can make business professional education fun and enjoyable, that's going to impact way more lives than any university course will ever impact. I, I think that. the people stop listening, stop learning after university. And I think that's a detriment to society. So I want to change that. You know, in the United States educational system, I we find that, you know, financial literacy is not really as pre prevalent in, you know, whether it's, you know, K through 12 and or the higher education mm -hmm. institutions. What about what about Canadian? Is it the same? Is it it's the exact same. same? It's the exact same thing up there. Yeah. Like my, my undergrad was in, in criminology, jurisprudence, pre-law, like nothing, like nothing to do with what I'm doing right now. Like the best thing it taught me was time management didn't teach me any business lessons. Yeah. You could, you could go to business school too, but even then, right. like would I rather, there's people that I would rather learn from on Twitter about marketing than I would listening to a professor in, you know, uh, an MBA class. Right. I just feel like the, I feel like you have to have the operators, the people mm -hmm. that are doing the things because tech marketing media, it's evolving so quickly yep. that a professor as, as incredible as that person is, they cannot be up to date on what you actually have to know to be effective. And even if you do learn something, it won't be as effective in six months or a year. Absolutely. So you have to change the way you, you have to change the way you learn. And I, I'm hoping to champion and, and sort of do that a little bit, but it's going to be a big effort, but that's what I'm trying to do. I love. And by the way, I wanted to get back to something that you mentioned before. Um, I loved how you talked about bringing, I'll call it the entrepreneurial spirit into a corporation, right? Where mm -hmm. the employee is walking into, you know, their workday, thinking about ways that they can scale and innovate inside of the company. Maybe they don't want to break out on their own, but they're going to scale individually. And, you know, when people walk into their job with matters of finance or matters of personal health or well-being on their mind, they have the tendency to be more productive, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, from a, from a consultative perspective, do you look to overlay any type of financial education in consulting to, to your entrepreneurs or, or, you know, the businesses that you consult as well? hundred percent. So for entrepreneurs, for entrepreneurs, people within companies, like you just mentioned that have an entrepreneurial mindset, but maybe they don't have to go out on their own because the other side of upskilling yourself. So you're more, so you're more effective at work is finding ways to invest is finding ways to, yeah, I guess achieve some sort of financial independence or freedom, because I think the one thing we have learned in the past uh, two years is that that job that you thought was a secure job that you've had for 20 years is not a secure job. Yep. Like companies are like furloughed like that. Right. So you got to, you got to find ways to, to be smart about where you invest. Less companies are offering, um, uh, there are less companies are offering pensions. Almost, almost no companies are offering pensions unless you're with the government or whatnot. So it's a dying breed. You got to, you got to figure out, 
I, I don't care if you're in the S&P 500 and you're just riding that. You got to figure something out because if not, you're going to have a pretty, uh, a pretty tough retirement unless you have that pension that you're riding. Like that's like, I come from the world where, you know, I said my whole family were cops and government, right? Like they're going to ride that 70% of their five best years until they die. Yeah. And that's incredible, but no one else gets that. Yeah. And I'm not being invited yeah. into it anymore. Even municipalities yeah. are cutting that out now too. I didn't know that. That's pretty bad actually. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I know. Yeah. One of our one of our uh, our partners is and, and a really close relationship of ours is uh, Dan Geltrude, America's accountant. And um, we were having a dinner with him the other evening and he was talking about, you know, some of the things that he sees from a scope perspective on, um, you know, municipalities and will they end up offering uh, the opportunity to join in pensions and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's it, it's a very, very expensive proposition for a municipality or a company to administer. Right. You yeah. know, that's just kind of the world that we're operating in. So how do you pivot around that? How do you create those strategies? That's where, you know, corporations and, and, and individuals like myself and my team come into play, giving that education and people like yourself, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm listen, I'm not the the financial person. I just know that you got to I, I just know that you got to figure it out. <laughs> Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yes, if you, if you are, if you are working in a company like the, 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 the financial, you know, literacy so that you know that you're investing and where to invest and like, my God, like, don't just, don't just, you know, go to what your banker tells you, like, look outside the box a little bit, diversify that portfolio. Like you can jump into different things, jump into new things. A lot of, there's a lot of safe things mm -hmm. that are still probably not going to be recommended to you by, you know, going to your local bank and asking where to put your money. So I think that that's very smart. And I think it's a, it's a requirement too. If you want to, if you want to live a successful life, if you want to retire well, if you want to, you know, have something for your kids, like not everybody's making 200, 300,000 bucks to put that much away. So you got to be smart about it. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. We are infinity X given stages and microphones to human excellence. And, um, in time integrity, we have another minute left. And, um, Scott, the question comes in from David hammer. What do you see as the next newest technology that isn't yet mainstream or not as well known? Mm, that's a tough one. Mm. We can go through like the, the regular ones Like we got like the AI robotics, yeah. we got blockchain, uh, you got virtual reality, all, like all of that stuff is not all of that stuff will start to permeate your everyday life. And I think that, you know, there's going to be so many as like, for example, I was speaking to, um, I don't know if anybody here is into, if you're, if you're a finance guy, you know this. So Ethereum, I was speaking to the co-founder of Ethereum, um, Anthony Diorio on my podcast this morning. And I actually asked him like the same question just regarding blockchain, because obviously that's the space that he's in. And it really was, like the future iterations of blockchain are obviously not like just Bitcoin. It's like the technologies that will evolve that, you know, in the past year we saw NFTs, you know, yes. that came to life. Yes. Like yes. we don't even know what the future technology that's going to take off that's built on blockchain is, but the fact is it's happening regardless. It's here, it's here to stay. It's here to stay. So, you know, I would still, I would argue like blockchain, AI, all that stuff, you're going to see some crazy crazy projects, crazy companies that come out of these like bleeding edge technologies. I don't know what all the practical applications are, but you know, I would say learn them, study them because they're going to either impact your investment portfolio or they're going to impact your job or they're going to impact your life. So it's just better to be more knowledgeable than not. And, uh, you know, Scott, with that in mind, the time is 8.01. And um, I just want to, you know, from the Infinity X family and on behalf of my partner, Rob, we just want to thank you again for your participation this evening, folks. You can find him at scottclary.com, at scottclary on Instagram and successstorypodcast.com. Uh, Scott, any parting wisdom, especially in the challenging times that we're in economically, both you know here in the United States as well as overseas for entrepreneurs, uh, parting shots? Yeah. For anybody, uh, future proof yourself now. So future proof yourself, meaning like always be learning, always be upskilling, always be never be comfortable with where you're at because it's always going to change. So be comfortable disrupting what you know with new ideas, be open to it and you'll be, you'll be fine. Incredible.
Scott, I can't thank you enough for joining us this evening, dancing thank you, on the Infinity X stage. And um, I will just say, just from a parting shop standpoint, on our side, um, I love what you're up to in the world, Scott. And um, I, I can't, I'm excited to see how that continues to expand, continues to grow, and continues to scale. And um, there's many, many synergies in what we're doing at our organization, Epic Financial Strategies, that really kind of correlate with what you do. So I, I would, I see people like yourself in our future, and it's, mm-hmm. uh, I've really, really thoroughly enjoyed tonight's conversation. And um, again, folks, thank you so much for uh, tuning in this evening to another session of Infinity X, giving stages and microphones to human excellence. And Scott, thank you so very much for spending the time with us this evening. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Until next week, everybody, we are Infinity X. Have a wonderful night. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Infinity X. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube by searching We Are Infinity X. Until next time.